0: what's going on everybody it's charles real quick i wanted to give a little bit of context for the podcast that you're about to listen to as you guys have probably heard me talk about there was a lot of website issues in like that mid 2019 era so so long ago a few months anyway uh and so what i did was i had a handful of q a shows that I published to YouTube. So the video's out there. This is episode 263. You can go watch it if you want. But since you're listening, I assume you probably prefer to listen. There's a couple of things in this episode that I talk about that are probably not super relevant uh, as you're listening to this, if you're listening to it on the day it comes out. Right before filming this, I was about to do a road trip up to Indy 500 and to meet up with Eric the Car Guy, Chris Fix, Engineering Explained, Matt Moran, some of my some of my favorite people, uh, you know, beyond... Beyond the YouTube world, just IRL in real life, really, really rad dudes. And that did happen. We did do the meetups. We did all the things that I mentioned that we were going to do in this episode. But what I didn't want to do is just publish this. And have you thinking, Charles, why aren't you doing that meetup like you said you would? Uh, I don't want that. I don't want to try and uh, accidentally or inadvertently mislead anyone on that. So I just wanted to fill you guys in real quick before we jump into your questions that the meetups have already happened. And uh, the trip was amazing. Great time. Great meetups. The R32 did fantastic. Chris and I actually, uh, after the Indy 500 thing, he and I both drove up to Chicago, got to show him some of my old stomping grounds, and uh, we hung out for a couple extra days with Peak, which was really, really rad. Uh, And then I shipped my car home because I didn't really want to make that 15-hour drive back. So we got one more of these older Q&A shows that I had to get in audio-only format. Uh, Then we're going to jump into some new stuff, and we'll keep going back to some of the old stuff till we got all caught up with the audio podcast and i'm super jazzed about that and i got some good stuff coming for you guys in video and audio also real quick i did a video on the r32 on getting ready for this road trip that we're about to take so uh, you may want to check that out it's a pretty cool video some really rad roller shots of the r32 that the the film crew got and uh, boy am i thankful for that also those really rad stormy cloud background shots of the r32 that i've posted a few times like on instagram and whatnot This is the road trip they came from, the windmill pictures and all that, so check them out. If you haven't seen them, check them out. So with that, let's get into your questions. Hey everybody, it's Charles from HumbleMechanic.com, today taking your questions on TDI high-pressure fuel pumps, Mark IV issues, a ton of DSG problems, and more. This is episode 263 of the Humble Mechanic Podcast. (laughs) All right, let's get to it. If you want to get a question on a show like this, be sure to email me, Charles, at HumbleMechanic.com. Put question for Charles in that subject line. Ask your question. Give me some space. Then give me details of the question. Helps out a ton when I'm answering these questions. Also, if you prefer to listen only to these and many other videos, you can do that on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, or of course, always over at HumbleMechanic.com. All right, let's talk about sponsor of the day, which is CRP Automotive. CRP deals in a ton of OE maintenance and repair parts, timing belt kits, suspension components, and even fluids. In fact, they make the factory DSG fluid for Volkswagen and Audi. So check them out at crpautomotive.com. Today I'm only doing three questions because I got some other stuff to fill you guys in on. If you normally skip this, don't skip this. This is important stuff here we're gonna talk about today. So uh, on Wednesday, May 22nd, I will be leaving from central North Carolina, driving up to Cincinnati. Hooking up with my man Eric the Car Guy, Jason from Engineering Explained, Matt Moran Motoring, and of course Chris Fix. On that road trip, I will be giving away or hooking you guys up with some free gasoline. I have a stack of, let's see, $40, $25 Shell V Power Nitro Plus premium fuel cards that I'm going to be hooking folks up with on my trip up that way. We are going to then be driving from Cincinnati to Indianapolis for the Indy 500. We're going to have our cars on display for the Indy 500 weekend, which is amazing. I'll be rocking the R32 up that way. Should be an awesome time. We'll also be doing a meetup while we're in Indianapolis. And then Chris and I are actually driving to Chicago, where we'll be doing a meetup in my hometown, weirdly enough, like six miles from where I grew up, super strange, of Joliet, Illinois. We'll be there with Peak Automotive and uh, I think Tavares will be there and the guys from Throttle. And John Force, and I think Brittany Force or Courtney Force. I screwed it up once, so it's the Force family, they'll be there. So that should be a blast, and uh, it'll be cool because I'll be swinging back into my hometown. So if you guys are around in any of those locations Cincinnati, Indianapolis, or Joliet, Illinois I'll put details down in the description of times, dates, because I've already forgot what they were, and uh, you guys can hook that up. Also, I'll be talking about on social media a bunch too. So if you don't follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, somewhere else, I don't know. Um, You wanna do that and turn on your alerts so you get alerts for that kind of stuff. So that should be awesome. With that wrapped up, let's hit these questions. First one up, Charles, I have a 13 Passat TDI with 265,000 miles. That is awesome. Uh, Ready to do my second timing belt change. What are your thoughts on replacing the high pressure fuel pump? I have both kits from two micron that protect the injectors and fuel system from the usual carnage caused by the high pressure fuel pump failing, but not sure if I should gamble for another 130K. Thanks for your thoughts. Okay. Um, my initial thought is you got the the 2 micron stuff on there, so even if the high pressure fuel pump fails, you should not have that severe catastrophic failure where it comes apart and blasts metal all through the entire fuel system. So good on you for that. In addition to that, that type of failure on the Passat is way, 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 way less than on the Jetta and the Golf. So the ones without AdBlue injection really were the ones that were problematic. Now, I have seen plenty of Passat high-pressure fuel pumps fail. Just the number of them with catastrophic failure, blowing metal throughout the system, is so, so, so much less than it is on the Mark IV. I would probably just go ahead and run it, okay? Now that's me being me. As a technician that can do my own timing belt and would do my own timing belt, I'm not worried about having to go back in and do that job again. If you're paying for it and having someone else do timing belt tension or water pump rollers, it's worth much more consideration then than if you're doing it yourself. Um, It says you're getting ready to do your second timing belt change, so I don't know if that means you're doing it yourself or you're paying someone. If you're doing it yourself, I wouldn't do it. I would I would I would gamble and I would roll the high pressure fuel pump that came on the car. Mostly because it's like 600 extra dollars to do the high pressure fuel pump over the timing belt. And you can actually do that high pressure fuel pump without stripping the entire timing belt off. So it's going to really depend. I'm pretty sure those high pressure pumps are like 550, 600 bucks. It's a lot of extra money just to maybe prevent a problem, but the flip side of that is it's six hundred dollars no matter what and it's going to be six hundred dollars plus all that extra labor if you don't overlap it with the current timing belt replacement so that's why I'm saying like if you're if you're gonna pay someone else to do it six hundred dollars is a lot of money but it's cheaper than having to go back and do it a second time 265 is a bunch of miles on the car which is awesome another thing I would consider is what warranty do you have left from the TDI modification because you might be able to bridge you know, another 40, 50,000 miles if you have a lot of warranty left, depending on when you had the modification done, if you had the modification done. I'm guessing with that 256K, you probably don't have any warranty left on it. So if I were making this determination, this is what I would do. Doing it myself, I wouldn't do the high-pressure pump, because you already know how to do it, the labor's free. Yeah, it's going to be you going back into doing more work on it, but you're saving so much money, wouldn't stress about it. And you have that 2 micron filter, so we don't have to worry about catastrophic damage. If I'm paying someone, I'm gonna ask them, what's my labor rate for doing this timing belt job? How much more to do the high pressure fuel pump with the timing belt job? How much to do the high pressure pump independent from the timing belt job? And then you can look at all three numbers and make that determination. Is it $60 more labor to do the high pressure fuel pump with the timing belt? And $600 labor to do the high pressure fuel pump independent from the timing belt? Those are just numbers, right? I don't know what, what it actually is. I don't think it would be $600 in labor, but I you know I don't know. Um, use those numbers and actually determine based on numbers, not how you feel about it, because too often we wanna make these decisions on how we feel, um, not the pure numbers, or not even knowing what the numbers are. So look at the numbers and make your determination there. All right, next one up is from Albert. Why do Mark Fours get such a bad rap? Before you watch my answer, I want you to swing down to the comments and leave a comment of why you think. Mark 4s get such a bad rap. Hey Charles, fan of your channel and VWs in general. My dad has, a, has had a thing since the 80s and I've had a 68 bug as well. I'm really interested in rallying and I feel the Mark 4 Golf would be a great beginner platform. Do you have any experience with rally builds for VWs or any wise words? Thanks, Albert. Okay, Albert, um, you asked a question but then your details aren't to the question. So let's try and talk about both of them. Uh, from the rally experience, I actually don't have any rally experience, uh, soon, right? We'll be doing that soon. I got another car coming that may or may not work out for a rally car. If it doesn't, we'll add an additional car, uh, to do that. Cause I think rally looks super fun. I think a golf would be awesome. Perfect platform, right? Mark four, they're old, they're cheap. If you can get a two liter manual transmission, they're damn near bulletproof. And a lot of that stuff that I complain about with Mark IVs. it doesn't matter because if the interior is a little janked up, you're rallying it anyway. You're probably going to beat the hell out of the car, so who cares about that, right? I think it's a great platform. Again, cheap, reliable if you're looking at a two liter, non-turbo, the 1.8s and the VR6s and the diesels, that ratchets up in cost for maintenance and ratchets down in reliability a little bit. But still, easily, easily doable for the rally. Uh, we would definitely want to look at a suspension change for the rally car. I'm pretty sure stock height, you have enough ground clearance. I might consider the Diesel Geek belly pan, like I have on my R32, uh, the Diesel Geek Panzer pan, I think it's called. It's like five inches thick of steel. I'm just kidding. It's only like, you know, I don't know whatever that is, quarter inch or so, three-eighths inch steel, but it's a big, heavy-duty pan to protect that very, very fragile aluminum oil pan, and we don't want to damage our transmission either. I would add that for sure if I was doing rally. Otherwise, dude, get the car, buy it cheap, and rally it stock and see how it does. Then you can decide, okay, I don't have enough ground clearance, or I don't have enough suspension travel, or uh, my bushings all worn out and the car's all over the place, right? I would rally it first and then determine what you need. Now, back to the question of why Mark IVs get such a bad rap. They get a bad rap for a number of reasons. One, they kind of deserve it. The cars had issues when they were new. Window regulators, ignition coils, wearing out rear brakes at 30,000 miles, bushings wearing out, geez, fans failing. On door latches is another one, interior trim, like I just dealt with on the R32 and replaced a bunch of that stuff, water leaks. Uh, we could go on for days. I think I did a video on uh, Mark IV Common Issues. I'll try and link up in the in the cards. Otherwise, just search Mark IV Common Problems and you'll probably find my video. If you find someone else's, don't watch that. Watch mine. I'm kidding. Watch whatever you need to to get your uh, correct information. So if we look at the Mark IV today in 2019, the newest ones are 14, 13, 13, 14, 15 years old. Uh, the newest ones would be 2006 in the Gulf. So yeah, 13 years old probably 14 now at this point, they're old, and a lot of them were very poorly maintained or maintained by someone that maybe didn't know how to maintain a VW. You know, Hondas and Toyotas seem to be very easy, maintenance-friendly cars that don't require any special touch. German cars do. They really, really do. In addition to that, there was a lot of things that were just wonky from the factory, right? oil leaks, ignition coils, window regulators, I already rattled off a whole bunch of them, maybe the designs aren't the best, add that on top of a customer that doesn't super take great care of their car, add that on top of a mechanic working on it that maybe doesn't specialize in German cars and doesn't have that extra touch right on that German car, on top of that now they're really really old so you start stacking up problems and and it can be it can be an issue you know if I were going to buy a Mark IV today Um, I would have a very low expectation of this being a very nice car. They were entry-level cars when they came out, so I would have a very low expectation of this being an amazingly nice car. You know, the R32 is different because it was a limited edition. Most of the people that own those really did take good care of them. My, My issues with mine, I think, were mostly due to being a Florida car so harsh sun a lot of the year. It's not the most amazing thing for a car with black interior, but luckily we're working through all these issues, and these issues are common, I think, no matter what. It's just kind of accelerated or maybe worse because mine was a Florida car versus, say, a car from Minnesota. For the car from Minnesota, you're going to have rust issues where mine doesn't, so, you know, which side of the fence do you want to be on? I have an affinity for Mark IVs because I remember doing so much work when I first started at the dealership. That was the car that was out doing it under warranty, right? Working on them under warranty, doing a million window regulators a day, a thousand ignition coils a day. Um, But like I said before, they they do have problems. So hit that video and watch that and see what you think. But honestly, dude, if you're rallying it, who cares, you're gonna tear the car up anyway. Go beat the hell out of it, have a good time. Don't care about all the little finicky stuff like I'm worrying about on the R32. Enjoy it, drive it, that's what they were meant to do. And uh, you know what, if the dash creaks or the center console breaks, who cares? You got it off-road, and you're having a good time with it. All right, last one of the day comes from Elton. Hey, Charles, I got a 13 Jetta Mark VI with a 1.4 TSI DSG 7-speed dry clutch. This must be a rest-of-the-world car. The hybrid was the only one of those vehicles that had that. Or you have a hybrid, and that can introduce some other issues, too. Firstly, I encountered an intermittent failure with the TCM by where the vehicle lost communication with the TCM. I bought a replacement, got a local shop to change it and program the TCM. Now the vehicle is more jerky between one, two, three, four gears, sometimes five. I was told to drive the car and this would iron out or change the K1 and K2 actuators. Questions. Do the actuators really have anything to do with shifting gears? Yes, they do. Can you remove the EEPROM chip and replace it on another TCM? Uh, you probably can, but I don't know that that's going to do you any good. What other things can I do to get the uh, shifts to iron out as the clutch is not worn or they're not slipping? I now sometimes see D instead of D1 when shifting. Is that correct? Sometimes D1 and reverse is slow to engage. Can you advise if this is normal as it wasn't the case before? Okay. Um, so I'm not crazy familiar with this 7-speed transmission. Like I said in the US, the only car that we got it in, in this package was the hybrid. So you have the 1.4, you have the 7-speed DSG, which is a dry clutch. So think of having two actual clutches, like a manual transmission car uh, instead of just one, but you also had this hybrid unit between them. So that introduces other issues. That said, even though the number of cars I saw with this platform was low, saw a lot of transmission problems. And it was a couple of things. One, the mechatronics unit, which maybe that's the TCM that you're talking about. Two, the actual gear selectors getting stuck and hung. You'd get like a harsh engagement fault or a mechanical engagement fault on those. So when we installed that mech unit, we should have done basic settings on it. If that wasn't done, that could be your problem. The first thing I would do is find a shop that has VCDS or to get to the dealer and have them recalibrate that and reset the clutches. Now you could also be having the clutches wore out and they need to be replaced and properly adjusted. Uh, Without driving the car, without scanning the car, it's really hard for me to say, this is what your problem is. But yes, those mechatronics units were problematic. I think I did a video taking one apart. And even if the mechatronic unit was good, I still saw internal mechanical problems with that transmission. Now, you said you got a TCM. Was it a new TCM? Was it a used TCM? There's a very specific procedure for installing that TCM. You have to set the sliders in the proper position. You also mentioned slow to engage. That makes me question the fluid level. And is it correct? Is it the correct fluid? That's just a manual gearbox, basically. So the fluid type, may not be as important as say an automatic or a wet clutch transmission because that's very, very dependent on the proper fluid. I would also want to look and see, do we have any fault codes? Because that can point us in a good direction. You know, Well, probably not a good direction, but the proper direction. In addition to that, we need to look at why were we dropping communication with the TCM? Was it because the MEC unit was bad? Or was it because we have another issue? Maybe we have a wiring problem. Maybe you have a wiring problem in disconnecting those connectors and plugging them back in created even more of a problem and that's why you're having your heart shifting. So what I would do, I mean, I, I, I don't always like to default to this, but there are times, guys, with these really strange problems with cars, this is the best course of action. And that is going to be to take it to someone that knows that car, not just a general service department, okay? You take it to a place that does mufflers, there very well could be someone that knows that car really, really well. But the odds of that versus a specialty shop, a VW Audi specialty shop, or a shop that is a European specialty shop that also does everything VW and Audi, the odds of getting someone there are really, really good, right? That knows what they're doing. It's really good. The odds of average Joe shop that works on everything that doesn't have the proper equipment or doesn't know the car very well You may have worse luck, right? You put the TCM in it so we know that's been replaced. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that TCM you put in was no good. There's so many variables that can play into this and I I, I hate to see when someone has an issue like that, replaces a part that very likely could be an issue and it doesn't fix it. Rather than taking a step back and going, okay, I have a problem with my car. I don't know what's wrong with it, so I'm gonna take it to a shop that has the equipment and the expertise to properly diagnose the car. Sure, you could have emailed me and said, hey, Charles, I got some shifting issues. What do you think's wrong with it? And I could say, yep, put a TCM in it, or put a gearbox in it. That would be very irresponsible of me. It would not give you the right answer, and it would not help you in any way because you'd spend a ton of money on this, and you wouldn't have a trans, well, you might, but you might also not have a car working any better than before you sent me that email. That's why so many times when I don't know the answer or haven't seen the issue, I tell you, take it to a specialty shop and get it properly diagnosed. Yeah, it might cost you 120 bucks. And Elton, I'm not picking on you. I just, I see this so much and it makes me me mad a little bit, but mostly I feel bad because people spend so much money throwing parts at their car when they could have spent $125 had it properly diagnosed by a shop And maybe the repair's the same, right? Let's say it is. Let's say it was the TCM and the shop told you, yeah, we need a TCM. Well, what happens if it's not? Okay, yeah, it costs you $125 more. That sucks. But what happens if it's not? And you didn't spend that $125. You spent $1,000 on a TCM or mech unit or whatever the part is, and it doesn't fix your car. In this case, it's worse. Now we have no leg to stand on. Now we're going back to square one, except we're worse off. Because we don't know if that part we replaced was good, bad, installed properly, coded properly, adapted properly, we don't know any of that information. So I, I beg you guys, if you've got a problem with your car that's not something really common, right? Intake manifold on a two-liter. If you got a P O two a P two O one five, you put a manifold on it, and then we can talk about diagnosing it. Got a coolant temp sensor fault on a Mark IV? Put an ECT in it, because it's $30, and then if it's not gonna fix it, we can diagnose it. I'm cool with some of that, right? Door latch not working? Okay, put a door latch in it, check the wiring, you're good. With things like this, it almost always works out to be way more expensive to drive it through the parts department than to just pay someone to have it diagnosed properly. And and I say that more as a PSA, not picking on the question at all. I just, I, I hate it, I hate to hear that because it, ends up with you hating the car, spending way more money that you have, not trusting the mechanic, and the mechanic having a harder time diagnosing it than if we would have just took it there to begin with. So, dude, I, I don't know what's wrong with your car. You can try and do that basic setting. That would be what I would do first. But there's so many little variables with this dry clutch transmission, and they all have problems, right? We could put a new gearbox in it, and that may fix it, but it may also not. Maybe we have a loose pin in one of the connectors. And again, when we disconnected that connector and pulled the plug out, that made the problem worse. So get it to a shop to properly diagnose it. I hope that it's a really easy thing and just needs a basic setting and you'll be fine. But uh, but this is one of those where I just simply can't give you anything more than really those couple of things because without the right test equipment and without the right scan tool, there's not a whole lot you're going to be able to do. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap it up there. Questions, comments, drop them down below. Don't forget about those meetups. I will put that information down below as well. Follow me on social, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, sometimes anyway, on Snapchat. Guys, thank you so much for watching, and I'll talk to you again next time.